So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Talking new releases this episode. We have the long-awaited Saint Maud, which we originally thought we would have talked about over a year ago. Yeah, yeah, I think that Rosemary's Baby and, uh, gosh, what were those other films? Was it Possession? Um, maybe mm. two other classic horror films AMC was using to promote the uh, oh, oh. the theatrical release of Saint Maud with their marketing. They did a month long of uh, promotional movies and then didn't play the movie. Yes, I was very excited to have the opportunity to do a lot of first watches of classic horror. Um, but now we have a uh, we have St. Maud. We'll leave it at that. Um, we're also covering Shiva Baby. Um, let's do our first impressions of Hope and the Killing of Two Lovers. <laughs> All right, we just watched the trailer for Hope from the filmmaker Maria Sadal. What do you think? It looks kind of like um, that Liam Neeson movie from last year. What was it like? Ordinary Love or something like that where... He and an actress I can't remember the name of, um, she gets cancer and he takes care of her and they try not to, you know, have the kids get bothered by the situation. And it's like sweet and heartfelt, but it's it's um, really not that notable. There's um, not that many choices that I get interested in. There's no deep artistic moments that move me. It's just kind of a, a nice popcorn film Um that, you know, doesn't have any negative qualities to it. I don't see anything deeply, um, you know, original or moving here. Um, just kind of, you know, not middling fair, but fine. How about you? You are not hopeful. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's one I would have gone out of my way to see had I not already just seen some positive reactions to it from people who, like, I don't feel like would ordinarily go for this kind of thing. So that just has me intrigued. Um, I'm kind of hit and miss with Stellan Skarsgård. He's the only person, cast-wise, that I recognize here. Um, it just depends on the movie if I respond to what he's doing or not. Um, when he's with Lars von Trier, you love him. When he's not, you're disappointed. Yeah, I've, I've disliked actually everything you've done with Lars von Trier, Antichrist, and then Nymphomaniac. I was down on both of those, but um, I respectfully will tell you you're wrong, sir. For another episode, um, yeah, I mean, kind of a solemn family drama um, about a family dealing with uh, uh, the mother-wife figure having illness. I mean, I think it. Um, you know, doesn't have anything obviously uh, striking about it from a uh, marketing perspective, but um, 
yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, I think, what else is uh, coming out when this one does arrive. That was your best attempt to have a more hopeful take onto yeah. the killing of two lovers. Well, I'll just say, I mean, how do you, how do you think um, this type of material could be better marketed? I mean, I think we both, usually with first mm. impressions, tend to just respond to things that are just, you know, more more obviously striking. Um, I think I guess I'm 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 hesitant to be too negative only because I think this is just a harder sell in, you know, a two minute trailer. Marketing wise, if this is actually a compelling drama to rather than trailer me, give me a full dramatic scene with a compelling mm. performance. Not your best one, not the one that gives the plot detail away, but a convincing one that is moving that actually provides me with the desire to see the film, you know. Uh, Tenet did this by showing the opera house explosion fight thing um, mm. quite notably. And I think that, you know, that's a marketing strategy that was used uh, for another film we had with Dunkirk and the um, mm. the uh, airplane um, or a brief snippet of the airplane um, dogfight sequence. I think that's a very, you know, this is a totally different film, but if the film is of great merit, good quality, compelling performances, great dramatization, Show me that performance. Nothing's going to convince me the father is as good as watching Anthony Hopkins act in The Father. Um, if if this is truly good, I think this is a similar type of dramatization where nothing's going to convince me as convincingly as seeing Stellan or the actress who I don't know the name of opposite him deliver a performance that is moving. Don't give me melodrama with a scan in, in a CAT scan machine give me a, a compelling interaction. Don't don't give me a, you did everything wrong before, you're doing it right now at a gas station. Show me the, the scene where he starts doing it all right in the tears that are in your eyes. Um, the, this is just not a marketing strategy that I'm, I'm ever really convinced by. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Dunkirk and uh, Tenet certainly have more exciting material yes. to work with. Um, uh, I remember, you know, us responding similarly to the truth when Hirokazu Hirokazu Koreeda's film came mm-hmm. out. I ended up liking that film quite a bit. Um, it's a similar similar kind of trailer. Um, yeah, harder for sure. On to the killing of two lovers. Hey, Alex. Yeah. What do you call a pile of kittens? What? A mountain. Come on, mountain. You working? Yeah. This early? Yeah, Dad. Stop digging. I think we're doing the right thing. David, I love you. You love me. We're trying to figure this out. I'm listening, Dad. Love is a feeling, and feelings, they move in, they move out. Darling. Mom's cheating on you. All right, Michael, that was the trailer for The Killing of Two Lovers. What do you think? I am curious about this. I think this was one that maybe played at New York Film Festival. 
this past year that we just didn't get to. Um, not fully familiar with the director. I don't think I'm familiar with any of the cast members. Um, I think it looks compelling. Uh, an angry man movie. Guy finds out his wife's cheating on him in like r- rural middle America. Um, I-, I think it looks uh, sturdily crafted. Um, I guess my question would be if it's uh, going to leverage this guy's anger for thrills or if it will, you know, study that anger. Sometimes this kind of movie can rub me the wrong way if it feels like it's, you know, leveraging that kind of thing for for suspense and less interested in the psychology. But I think the craft looks appealing. What about you? Well, I mean, just building on that, I both like thrill and psychology. So if we can do both, mm. that's where I'm happy. Um, I don't prefer one over the other. But the uh, star here is Clayne Crawford. He was famously the um, Mel Gibson stand-in for that version of... It's not... God, what is the... The cop movie that Mel Gibson was in? Um, and they turned it into a TV show on Fox... And Clayne had directed a few episodes and he uh, was famously fired because he wasn't getting along with one of the Wayans brothers because he did a riskier stunt Mm. and was like, um, you know, a a little bit of a boisterous type of a director. Um, He's he's not quite got the Shia LaBeouf reputation, but he's somewhere adjacent there with, um, you know, erratic um, behavior and like really demanding behavior. I I mean, outside of that, just as a viewer, I've always been very interested in his choices as an actor. He's extremely compelling, very committed. Um, I'm interested to seeing him put this this dramatic piece to work as, as an actor. Um, I'm also interested to see him maybe grow his capacity to be a producer of more films similar to Casey Affleck, who's, who's slowly been um, beginning to produce films that I'm very interested in. Um, so I'm I'm interested in that side of it. I really like, as I commented to you, the aspect ratio choice. I think it's very interesting to kind of do this this equilateral like four four type of a square, where um you know the countryside has depth to it over width, um particularly in Middle America um as the background. Um, I yeah I'm I'm very intrigued by this film. Yeah, I feel like faces usually register really well in in that kind of boxier aspect ratio um yeah i I would be curious to see how the landscapes um register that'll be interesting on to rose glasses saint maude dear god your presence graces the air and soon everyone will see hi you maude yes hi it takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh, it's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little savior. Hey, I thought that was you. What are you up to? I'm a private carer. You're still nursing? What? 
and they know what happened. All the good girls go to hell. All right, the much anticipated Saint Mod now streaming on Epics of all places. That's odd. Yeah, uh, A24 has certainly seen a downward trajectory in this, um, you know, much abuzzed about directorial debut release. Uh, it was marketed as this, you know, interesting new take on horror. I remember how, um, you know, emphatic they were with her walking around with nails or tacks in her shoes um, mm. and really playing up the, uh, you know, the marketing language of possession and repulsion and, and all sorts of, of mm. you know, demonic influence. Um, and now we're on the other side of the film, Michael. You said, uh, you know, liking it a lot prettier than I did. Um, wh- why did you like it? <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, um, so this is not a terribly long movie. I think it's 80 to 90 86. minutes. Um, we're focused very tightly on one young woman's perspective. She's a um, in-home hospice nurse for a cancer patient. She's this intensely devout Catholic uh, who we understand after the opening scene has been through some kind of traumatic, horrifying experience um, that has perhaps only furthered her kind of descent into this very, very intense form of uh, Catholic practice. And uh, we kind of essentially follow her down that rabbit hole. Um, and uh, I actually think we'll probably agree about the things that don't work very well in this movie but i think um it's a very i think it's a really stylishly crafted psychological horror movie with some really cool kind of um reference points um and i think the lead performance from uh morphid clark is is awesome and uh yeah i'll start there what about you i mean positive things i think that rose glass is an interesting director um, I, I think that she's, she's got a real penchant for shooting scenes without giving away the payoff in any given scene. Um, there's particularly a moment after she's stopped being the nurse for our secondary main character and she, uh, begins talking to a nurse on a park bench and you have no idea of which direction this conversation is going to go. And that's, that's Rose at her best to me is, is this like totally non-consequential um you know you you can't predict any outcome here and then um the actor kind of takes over the the entire lens with a choice that that their character is making that's when it's most interesting um that i think is the the reason why i ended up positive on the film rather than negative but i'm I'm very mixed and I'm just barely in the positive camp instead of just dead in the mixed camp. Um, I, I really do not think that Rose Glass is an interesting writer after this film. After her 27, 28 minute short film, Room 55, I was very intrigued by her as a writer. I really liked what she was doing with female character, but here it was just kind of recycled tropes. And look over here while I do this. And I've just seen a film at Sundance, which I mentioned to you, Censor, which does the same exact thing, much, much, much more interestingly and compellingly um, at the end throughout the the entire runtime. So that really underwhelmed me because I'd just seen the same thing better. 
arguably. I think, uh, let's, let's start with the tropes. What were the tropes that bothered you? Um, I, I mean, the, the clear lack of knowing who this person is and the, the repression. Um, right. Mm. We, we have the scene with her being called Katie. Is that right? Um, I don't recall. Somebody I think, else called I her think Katie. her real name is Katie. Um, mm. she's walking home after doing her job or whatever. And an old friend calls her Katie. She continues to walk and after stopping and doing that whole beat thing where she's like, I don't know how I'm going to react. And then she keeps walking and then her name gets called again. She turns around, gets the phone number from her friend who then is the one that walks into her room before the, uh, immolation sequence, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, as soon as, you know, we hear Herbie called a different name, I, for me, it's just like this Mr. Robot trigger goes off where it's mm. like, okay, I already know exactly where I'm, where I'm at. When are you gonna show me the veil? And mm. she doesn't show us the veil really until the bedroom scene, I would say. Um, she, she hints at it with her walking on tacks and stuff, but until, um, she goes up to the house and, you know, confronts the, the old, uh, the, the woman who's suffering that she'd been, um, assisting, we don't really know what her idealizations kind of pay off into. And we see a visual representation of it and it goes against the grain of rigidity of truth that the film has had before that visually um and so i just didn't buy into that being a real sequence at all which sequence the the demon manifesting. oh, oh. i just had had zero buy-in to that being um registerable as reality and, and rather uh you know her being crazy but um well, yeah, I think it's safe to assume that that is, we are very much in her subjective experience at that point, right? That we are not literally in uh, the world of the devil, right? Yes, and I just didn't find it interesting to be there. Being there was not interesting to me. Um, there, There's those little moments, though, like I said, like the... Um, the interaction between female characters at the party and preceding the party um, and on the park bench, like really, really interesting, um, you know, character dynamics before that. But it's this this payoff sequence with demons and immolation and, and oils and stuff that just uh, had absolutely no water held in it for me. I had a completely different experience. I think this movie has a really lucid logic to it where we understand that this girl has been through something traumatic. She doesn't really have anyone to turn to in her life. It's implied that she can bring this to or and work it through in any reasonable way. Religion, it just so happens to be the, the thing she turns to um, with this... Um, deeply emotion this deep emotional trouble she has um and she sees this opportunity for redemption um in the new patient that she starts working with um and except that she only falls further down this rabbit hole of self-punishment presumably i think i think it's implied that this is out of guilt uh, over what happened which i think is a little bit of a silly thing that happened um but I think the, the the logic here is very 
um, clear and um, if anything, it's it's kind of underwritten rather than overwritten. And I think I really prefer I, I prefer one to the other by by a landslide. Um, I, I think the character feels a little thin to me. I wish she had just she had just um, been a bit more fleshed out. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think the trajectory this movie follows is a relatively satisfying one. I think the craft is super expressive and the mood is very compellingly grim and um, exactly kind of what I was hoping it would be. Um, I think it's a little thin and it's a short movie, but one I would probably be very happy to rewatch. Yeah, I completely disagree with you. You are right. Um, I did not find it compelling. I I found certain scenes really, um, you know, interestingly constructed, you know, holding a, a solid tone. But it's the screenwriting. I just, I do not care about the intro motif of the uh the bug and the the bloody hands thing like it it's it's just a lazy choice to me um it's lazy why lazy i don't don't understand because you're doing a lot of heavy lifting with the past tense of an aggressive moment and then you're going an entire film almost the entire film length until there's another real aggressive moment and mm-hmm. so you're you're kind of implying that this is who this person is and then not taking any um, of the gusto or the the propulsiveness of, of postulating that thought in the viewer's head and then just kind of letting it sit there. And um, I just I don't find that interesting storytelling wise, um, maybe as a character who's a side character, that's like an interesting choice in the limited series as a single episode. But um, as an entire film, to, to start with the past tense of an act of aggression, coated in blood, looking up at the scattering um, beetle or cockroach or whatever, and then ending with the with the blaze of glory and just kind of meander until then, um, you know, go down the lines of sin and the lines of repentance. Um, they're just tired tropes for me. I, I'm not saying that's exclusively what they are, but for me as a film viewer or someone looking at stories i've just i've seen enough of that and it didn't feel original and it's um like it didn't surprise me by doing that um the only moments that surprised me were when it went outside those conventions entirely was focusing on on dialogue and and interpersonal connections which is what i really liked about room 55 that short film i referenced um so i i'm interested in her as a director it's just i have personally zero interest in her as a writer and that's just subjective tastes i think it was richard brody who said that we never really know who a director screenwriter is until they're like third or fourth features but i think we have to be careful about writing them off on either front whether it's their direction or screenwriting um but that said i i mean i would agree that it's it's not um it's not unpredictable. I do think you kind of get a pretty clear sense of where this movie is going. And I, that doesn't bother me a great deal. I think its reference points are pretty clear, whether it's something like um, Repulsion or even Taxi Driver, the kind of movie that aligns us with the perspective who's deeply troubled and we're very much kind of trapped in that character's headspace. Um, 
I think I like that she seems to be um, a director who's just familiar with film, film, familiar with film in a way. I don't think that's necessarily the case, as funny as that sounds with a lot of directors. Um, I think that's okay to see directors shedding their influences um, as they're just um, building, exploring their craft. I think that's what excites me most is that this is a really expressive, um, fully formed atmosphere for the movie. Um, But we're probably working farther away from each other at this point. Yeah, well, I'll say that like I wouldn't have this drastic of a of a negative take if it weren't for the noise and publicity and marketing that was surrounding it last year and just like kind of building up this this otherworldly cinematic experience and then me going into it and having a a what felt like a very typical um cinematic experience not something necessarily common nowadays but something that that you know you you wouldn't be surprised at the experience of necessarily and um it's entirely possible that she shapes up as a writer but the screenplay itself not the di- the dialogue i think is what's interesting here the screenplay itself the the choices of the characters along it do not um speak to me in any meaningful way so if she does develop as a screenwriter that that would be interesting to see um and you know maybe there's a you know maybe she does a, a play um for a stage and and tightens things up with with that but i as things sit right now i'm more interested as the director or in the director rose glass than the the writer rose glass because of those choices in storytelling yeah i think i would have used maybe the opposite phrase where i would have almost say like go bigger like i think this character could be could have been further enriched um i think i like the, the conciseness of the visual storytelling it is literally like two shots in this movie the opening scene and then the flashback where you know what catalyzed this descent um i mean i think that's awesome when you know it's i think if anything more relatively inexperienced directors tend to skew towards more exposition and there's literally none of that here um i think that excites me um if anything i would say like this could have been bigger not tighter yeah yeah well i'm i'm definitely not arguing for tighter that i'm aware of but bigger yeah i think that's a sentiment we could share um right because that's to me that's kind of foundational at the criticism of you you have bookends of violence, but you, you don't have any active violence until the end. Um, and if you go bigger, then you get more violence along the way. Then I'm more invested. Then the story has more propulsiveness. Then the character and, and how you're mapping to the character is more um, oscillatory. It's got more combustion to it. You're, you're trying to grapple with how you feel knowing this is your protagonist who's also going through these violences, um, whether they're perpetrating or the victim of, um, you know, that gets a lot more interesting dramatically than um, the passiveness for me. Yeah. Um, and just to be clear, like, I think this is a, like an, a very imperfect movie. Like I think the, the craft can be very overboard at times. And I think some of the, of like a lot of the 824 horror bench directors do this uh, where they, it seems like they 
stop expressing something about the character and are just stylizing to stylize. And I don't know where the flipped over camera thing originated, but I, I think it just becomes silly at a certain point. I think I would rather a director think about and flex the medium and do stuff with it. But I also think there's a point at which you stop telling us something new about the character and you're just showboating or you're just doing stuff to do it. And I think that definitely happens here. Um, but that is uh, something I would take versus something that is very underexpressed formally. Um, so, oh, yeah, throw that out there. I'll say it's a lot better than most of the horror fair. Because most of it I wouldn't go watch. And, just like and general even, horror cinema yeah, today? Yeah, just like, what is the, not the good one, but the, was it the Curse of La Llorona is the bad one? And then there's there's La Llorona, uh, the Spanish or Mexican film, which is actually good. Supposedly I, I better, right? Yeah, yeah. Supposedly very, very mm-hmm. good. Um, but like, I, I think I'd, I'd seen that movie in like two other horror films um in like late 2019 very early 2020 and they were just all bad and like this is markedly better than that um so like within the genre of horror it's certainly markedly better but um i don't know when you have that a24 label and you're thinking hereditary midsomar uh the lighthouse um the the vich i mean um i i was very underwhelmed at that level as well yeah, I don't know that I even feel like those are the right points of comparison. Like I, I, I would I, agree, but it's that E twenty four map that, that yeah. kind of put it on my my brain that way. Yeah, it's clearly kind of within the house style. I think of of the A twenty the the horror vertical of A twenty four, and I think that almost is at risk of becoming a cliche where mm-hmm. it it. But I I don't fault her for that. Like I think it is a well crafted movie, and you you reorder the 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 sequence in which you watch these, I don't doubt that someone could like this better. And by the time they see Ari Aster flip the camera over there, they'll roll their eyes there. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's hard not to compare, but I'm not actually not sure like how fruitful it is in a way. I don't know. Um, either way, I didn't really like it, but it's fine. And you did like it and would recommend it on epics. Oh, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yeah. On to Shiva Baby. I think it's really great to, like, support females, particularly um, female entrepreneurs. Cool. In the future. <laughs> great. Yeah. Awesome. Danielle! Don't Danielle! Please, Sonia! Moira's here, and her daughter's Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Hi! Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. Funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's bi is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. You can't just like show up to like the after party for a shiva and like reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? I'm just trying to major again. Feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my career, it's a lens. this is a film i believe we both liked i like this quite a bit yeah it's um kind of a atmospheric uh social family thriller horror adjacent type of a title um i definitely wouldn't want to be her 
Um, and I think that that marks a, a, any good, um, you know, compelling narrative where someone is befoul of um, whatever is happening in the narrative or the plot. Um, yeah, what do you think of the this directorial debut, Shiva Baby? I like this a lot. Um, I'm forgetting the, the director's name off the top of my head. Emma Seligman, I want to say. I believe it's Emma Seligman. Is that right? Um takes place almost enti- almost entirely at a Shiva, as the title might suggest. We're following uh, one particular character who's um, still in school, young Jewish girl who's uh, sleeping with an older man who uh, turns up at the Shiva unexpectedly. We just get a really good sense of where this young girl is at, at this moment in her life. I think I, what I like most about this movie is that it's not trying to impose much more of an arc than it needs to. It's just capturing a moment in the life of this particular very specific character. Um, I love that. And I think it's really funny. I think it's, it has a great cast. I like a lot of the people here. Uh, what about you? I think it's it's very witty, um, clever, funny in it, in its moments. Um, you know, there's, there's something particularly uh, just delicious and and hilarious about um when the aunt says oh she's looking skinny does she have a um an eating disorder and then the next moment her mother comes over and says you know your aunt just said that you're so skinny you have an eating disorder so you know that the game of telephone is like completely unreliable but um it within this entire conversation that everyone's having at this shiva um Everyone is treating what everyone else says as total fact, even though, like like our main character, um, they have some inkling to the fact that you know you're you're playing this up and and you know greatly elaborating um, the stakes of whatever you're saying in hopes that anything will come through and and hit me. And there's um, there's a great sincerity and and atmosphere to to just that type of a a social gathering yeah um and i think it's partly just about the specificity of it that i really like like our main character is this bisexual jewish millennial doing a like build your own major program in college like it's a pretty specifically detailed character and yet it's like a very relatable movie um you know i think this is the kind of thing that are that points back to something like The Graduate and um, you know I think about the opening kind of stretch of The Graduate where Hoffman's character is at his uh, graduation party and his parents' friends are asking him you know what are you going to do next and I think everyone's kind of been at that point where they look around and it feels like everyone else has their shit figured out and you don't and that's just a miserable feeling mm. um and this really milks that for for comedy along with some some slightly more emotional notes but it's the the specificity of this character that i think is really nice the um the introduction as well of the the sexual tension and kind of the uh the brief sequence that i would say is very horror adjacent where she's taken nude photos of herself and has like sexts on her phone that is unlocked that she's lost and her trying to find it and just the uh i mean the sequence where the screw pierces her leg she takes Mm -hmm. it out of her leg and then acts like nothing's happened um 
there's there's just a great atmosphere quality constantly to what's happening. The the one major drawback that I found in the film was the overemphasis of the composition to the soundtrack, um, really forcing moments to to be more weighted or more um, thrilling or filled with more horror or confusion than they needed to be. I, th- I think that if you play this film totally diegetically, it has just as much, if not greater impact um, that, you know, you just let each actor sit and and stew and, and have the conversations that they're having anyways. You're not going to make Fred Malamed less funny by removing the soundtrack. Um, you're not going to reduce the, the horror of seeing... Um, you know, what's going through her mind while she has to have a conversation with her, uh, I think he's called her sugar daddy in the context of this film, mm-hmm. um, with, with his wife, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like those are thrilling and, and horror-inducing by themselves. You don't need to tell me how to feel through your soundtrack. That was mm-hmm. the one thing that I really didn't like. But, I mean, Fred Molomid is one of my all-time favorite actors. <laughs> Super funny side character. Yeah, uh... There's one moment in particular where she's our, our main character is speaking to the woman you're describing the wife of the older man she is sleeping with and it very much goes into this uh, uh, into her headspace for that moment and then she suddenly snaps out of it and the second you snap out of it you realize that that was a little bit much mm-hmm. um, so I completely agree with you there um, there is some uh, maybe a certain lack of refinement to the to the craft, but um, the the performance is really just kind of more than made up for it for me. Um, both our lead and this side character, um, another young girl who our main character has a uh, romantic history with. Um, I vaguely remembered her from um, uh, oh, the buddy teen comedy Booksmart. Booksmart. Yeah, yeah, from Booksmart. Um, I thought she was great here. Um, uh, her name is Molly Gordon. Molly Gordon. There you go. She was in uh, Good Boys as well. Ah, okay, okay. I thought she was super funny. And, you know, her her character kind of hits a couple different notes. She gets pissed off at Arlita a couple times. She's otherwise kind of flirtatious. I think she's, uh, it's, it's a nicely flexible kind of performance. I think it's very fun. Yeah, it's, and it's, a, it's a really well-chosen moment for each of the characters to dramatize. At, at the Shiva, because their exes, maybe, they have unreconciled feelings. They're also mm-hmm. the closest allies because of the nature of the Shiva, because they're they're both the same age, and they're going to have the same questions directed at them. They both have similar sexuality. So they're kind of teammates in the context of the social situation. But uh, then through, you know, each of their actions, maybe one is, uh, you know, more provocative or, or uh, you know, could be looked down on by the other. It's, it's a really great strategic choice that she made as a writer, I think. Yeah, totally. Um, I know we've thrown the word horror out there a couple times. I, I mean, I do think it, it is, to me, definitely a comedy overall with some horrifying moments, some horrifyingly embarrassing things that our character is going through that are kind of expressed in uh, in the form of, of tension. But I actually think it feels very screwball to me in the way people are kind of coming in and out of different rooms. Um, you know, there's kind of this verbal, this, this kind of wordplay that is what 
brings about a lot of the comedy. Um, you know, there's kind of that just pep to the dialogue in the screenplay, especially when at the end you have a whole handful of characters, yeah, climbing into a van. There's this almost kind of zaniness to it that I think is really fun. But but just as equally, right? She she picks up the uh, the the dessert plate and tries to carry it to the table. And it's like the this Jacob's ladder descent to hell just to try mm-hmm. and drop this thing off. Um, and you know she wears it all on her face and in her body language and the exhaustion of of her breath and the way that she droops her shoulders. There's there's a lot of um, exciting choices. Um, the uh, supporting actress that I really really loved here. Her name is Jackie Hoffman. That's the one that makes the assertion that she has an eating disorder mm. um, as a question, and then the mother uh, Polly Draper, I believe, goes and, and says directly that she has an eating disorder. Um, and she was in Garden State, uh, Birdman, Legally Blonde. Um, so she's she's kind of one of those recognizable uh, character actor faces that uh just constantly wears that disapproval um from a f- from like a distant family member so deliciously that it just enriches the entire project and while we're talking about the cast just to add to that only weak spot for me is maybe the male character that our lead is uh having a relationship with struck me as a little bland not a huge deal but uh felt like a missed opportunity in a movie with some really entertaining personalities. Um, he felt a little uh, um, underwhelming for me. That actor's name is Danny DeFerrari, and uh, you would have loved him in the film Private Life, Michael. He was in Private Life. Is he high build on there? He was in Private Life. Um, I've not seen him in the first five people, so no, uh, I would say okay. not. But, I mean, I can't believe you didn't remember he played Jonathan in Private Life. Ah, uh, uh, damn it. I, yeah, I think that I, I didn't pick up on that, but I wouldn't doubt it. He's just, he's wearing such, he he's kind of tasked with wearing surprise and trying to be like three people at the same time. And so it, it's hard for me to know, like, where his lack of believability begins and mm. where, you know, being um, the sugar daddy, the um, the man who had interned for Fred Malamed and being the husband and father, like all simultaneously blend in. Um, I, I really liked it while I was watching it, but you might be totally right. I might've just been like having a good time um, at seeing him put into the situation rather than focusing on, is he good at the situation? Totally fair. And yeah, again, not a huge deal. Just, just maybe one, one thing that stood out a little bit. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 again, I just have to come back to that first point about it. Um, not not looking for some resolution when there isn't one. Um, I don't think our character, our, our main young girl, has undergone some, you know, significant growth that isn't about a revelation. It is just about sharing this moment in time with us. And I, and I love that. I think that is perfectly fine. And not just that, but a good thing for movies to do. Yeah, yeah. It does not deliver any promise. If anything, she stops holding someone's hand and starts holding someone else's hand. Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah, how yeah. I would I would phrase it because the the end in the van we do see that close up. Um, True. Yeah, yeah. Cut to 
uh, Molly Gordon and her holding hands. And then the beginning of the film is, you know, um, totally sexual, but lacking any of the intimacy that that hand hold mm-hmm. kind of had. So it it's it's almost like a small growth, but like a, a very, very small growth um, in direction and honesty with the emotional breakdown she has as she's picking up the glass and begins crying and mm-hmm. then gets that great mascara um, kind of roughness to the sides of her eyes mm-hmm. um, for the rest of the film. It's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see what this filmmaker does next because the the story had a, a strong sense of tone. The characters felt like real people weren't overwrought. Um, and she just kind of let things sit when they needed to sit and had constant propulsiveness. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I'm always interested. Tell your story, make it go, take mm-hmm. me on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've described it as not having like an arc or something like that, but there are events that move it, uh, at, you know, with a certain propulsiveness and that's very entertaining. Um, any closing remarks on it? I don't think I have too much more than that. I don't think so. It's a good one. You can watch it anywhere VOD is. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that's another one in the can.